I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 KRC radio show exclusively for this podcast. So did you think those supply chain issues would be sorted out by now? Steve and I discuss why you're still paying more for those shipping challenges and when they might go away. We also talk about how to make your marriage more financially equal and the ways that Cincinnati arts organizations are adapting to this Delta variant. Finally, I interview Erin Harris, the director of student enterprise at the Alpaw Family Economic Center, about her program that's helping Cincinnati school children become financially literate. The United States is officially out of Afghanistan, but some economic questions remain. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. It's hard to believe, Steve, but we're saying these words, America's longest war is over. Uh, I mean, I remember the I remember the invasion. I remember right so much about when the Gulf War started and we uh, into Afghanistan yeah. and, 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 and here we are. Um, we're out. And there's still, though, some economic stories and questions that will remain as a result of getting out of Afghanistan. Oh, and, and the way we got out is going to be talked about for years and years mm-hmm. and years. I, I mean, I don't want to get into the political side, but just from a, you know, from a military side, 2,500 U.S. military deaths, uh, 4,000 more uh, U.S. civilian contractors killed. I, I, this was, in large part, a contractor war. Uh, veterans, you know, go go to work for a private security yeah. company and, and go back and do what they were doing when they were in the military. And, and that was used, uh, that, that whole method was used a lot more than in, in previous conflicts. 20,000 total American casualties. Other side, uh, 69,000 Afghan military police, 47,000 civilians. I mean, what a cost. What what an absolute cost and, and a financial cost also. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we can underestimate, right, the human cost of this. And, and we're not beginning to try to draw any conclusions no. about that. Uh, but, you know, from an economic standpoint, of course, economists do this, right? They put the cost of being involved in certain projects uh, together and in the, the cost of being involved in this war. Brown, Univers- Brown University's cost of war project actually estimated total spending on this Afghan war uh, close to two point three trillion dollars you know it's interesting i feel like a a year or so ago had you said that number to me it might have seemed huge but quite honestly uh when you look at how much we've been spending on these stimulus packages and stuff like that lately a trillion dollars yeah, it ain't what a trillion used to be, huh? It's not what it I, used I mean, to be somehow. And, and you can take that number and, and figure that, okay, that that's the interest is included in that sum. And, and if you figure, just, just extrapolate this out to 2050, the cost of interest alone on the Afghan war debt, it could reach $6.5 trillion. I mean, that, that's twenty grand for every man, woman, and child in this country. And that's good perspective, right? What yeah. that comes down to, each yeah. of us on just this Afghan, Afghan yeah. war, 20000 bucks for each of us, every U.S. citizen. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a cost to war separate from the human cost. There, there's no doubt about it. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see, all right, we're not spending that money. Are we going to continue to send aid over there? I'll, I'll tell you, here's, here, you know, let's look at this from the Afghani side. Um, they they have a relatively small economy. It's a, a, a roughly a twenty billion dollar economy. Taliban are now running a government. They were you know terrorists, uh, uh, freedom fighters, call them whatever you want, you know. But uh, basically, you have a bunch of military guys running a country now. 
Well, two-thirds of that $20 billion economy in Af- uh, Afghanistan was supported by international aid, which is mostly us. So, yeah. you know, are we going to continue to send aid over there to support the Taliban government? I doubt that very highly. Yeah, so in fact, as part of the withdrawal, right, donor countries like the U.S., like the World Bank, like yeah, the IMF, yeah. have said this this funding is going to go away. You know, you mentioned, Steve, too, $20 billion. It, it sounds like a lot, but let's give some perspective to this. This equals the net sales that Procter & Gamble had or yeah, might have in the first quarter of 2022. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's why the stock market in, in the, the U.S., or for that matter, world stock markets, this isn't, you know, a Not concern reacting. at all from from no from from a purely financial standpoint. No, it's not an issue. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in Afghanistan. Their, their local currency is called the Afghani. And OK, why is the Afghani dollar or the Afghani worth anything? Because it could be exchanged for U.S. dollars. Well, guess what's not happening now? It's not being exchanged. So in other words, you know, is there going to be a currency? Are prices going to hit hyperinflation in Afghanistan? I don't think anybody knows. But at this point, you're not seeing a lot of uh, uh, countries around the world in there to support this new Taliban government. So my guess is this all dries up. And if there's no dollars, what is not just the the official exchange rate going to be, what is the, they call them hawalas, but it, it's the black market exchange that goes on over there and, and really, you know, is is the economy. Um, can that can that economy be sustainable? Can business people still do business? I, I mean, this is, you know, kind of a, a knee jerk prediction, but I, I think it's going to fall apart in relatively short term. The economy is going to yeah. just completely collapse without international aid. And, and a big chunk of their economy is based on the opium trade. I mean, I was reading 85 percent, and I know that's just a rough estimate, but 85 percent of the world's opium pop, uh, uh, opium supply uh, yeah. supply comes from Afghanistan. Isn't that crazy? I had no idea. Uh, yeah, about that. it's absolutely nuts. So you know, I, I guess, and that's going to continue to uh, to go on over there, and uh, that's you know, the Taliban has to have some type of money to support the economy. I, I can they can they continue to to run a government? What's going to happen to everybody who, you know, over the years they got a taste of democracy. They got a taste of, over 20 years of, you know, women being able to work, women being able to be educated. Now there is a memory of what it could be like and the Taliban are stepping in and saying, no, this is not the way it's going to be going forward. How much of a pushback is there going to be? Is there going to be another revolution? Um, stay tuned. I, yeah. I mean, this is a, it, it's really a sad, sad state of uh, events in Afghanistan right now. Well, without a doubt, this story will be developing uh, for a long time. But I think, you know, from the perspective of what we talk about here, the reminder is you're going to see headlines for a long time to come. And from a humanitarian perspective, from a political perspective, you might have huge feelings about that. But from an economic standpoint, when it comes to you, your investments, your 401k, uh, you know, this is not moving the needle. So don't make, uh, you know, knee-jerk emotional decisions decisions based on, oh, no, what's going to happen in Afghanistan? I'm worried that this is going to impact the stock market. Well, you know, truly, I think we're getting some perspective on that right now. Uh, Moving now to an international economic problem that is hitting your wallet tonight. 
we talk about these supply chain shortages and we said, man, this is a short term problem, but that's not exactly what we're seeing, Steve. No. And, and, and I, I think when everybody said, oh, this is just a blip, don't worry about it. And when, when I hear don't worry about it from from uh, especially politicians. Yeah. yeah, that's when you should start worrying. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're talking we were talking about Afghanistan and why that doesn't affect your investments. Let's talk about what does affect your investments. And that's supply chain issues. I mean, we've seen it with car manufacturing, uh, you know. Depending on which car company you're looking at, some had better backup plans for supplies and, and you know, what you need to build a car than others. I, I, I think the worst hit in the beginning were VW and, and Ford, where they shut down uh, assembly lines. Mercedes was another one, shut down assembly lines pretty much right after they got reopened, after, you know, things started to, to reopen again uh, about a year ago. Um, now it's Toyota, you know, who yeah. is well-known as having backups for their backups for their backup plans. And they're they're announcing that they're going to slash their global production of cars by 40% until these supply issues work their way through. I, I mean, the big one is computer chips, yeah. you know. So, you know, I, I heard from some sources, okay, by first quarter of 2022, don't uh, you know? Don't ex- or expect that to to clear up and and uh, be an, an an issue in the rearview mirror. I'm not so sure about that. Some other people are saying it may last a whole lot longer than that. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC as we take a deep dive into international stories that may or may not impact your 401k and one that is certainly having an impact on pretty much every part of our daily lives is is the supply chain shortage. Uh, you know in in some cases, you know, we talked about the chip shortage, Steve. Uh, you know, we said, okay, this is going to be short term, right? Play itself out. Yeah. And now it appears to be longer and longer. Uh, and, and as we talk about this too, the price of shipping going up. And I think this is an interesting example. Okay. So you've got a shipping container that can't be unloaded in LA because there's so many dock workers in quarantine. So they just don't have the manpower to unload it. Yeah. Um, and then it can't be reloaded with soybeans in Iowa. Uh, those soybeans were going to go to Indonesia, uh, and that could potentially trigger a shortage of animal feed in Southeast Asia. We're so interconnected. Oh, no and kidding. when things are working well, it works well. But when they're yeah. not working well, man, we all feel it. And it could be just a, a matter of, okay, the docks in L.A. are shut down because there was a COVID outbreak. But it has long-reaching consequences. I mean, it, it's like lining up a bunch of dominoes. And when one falls, no, it's not just all by itself. It knocks the next down and knocks the next down and knocks it. I mean, we're talking about shipping a 40-foot container of games from Shanghai to Michigan, you know, six $7,000 a year ago, um, $26,000 today for the yeah. same shipping container. Yeah. Uh, in might some cases, go as much five as thir- times. Yeah, right? five yeah. times what you would have paid a year ago. And that's if you can get it in a reasonable amount of time. I mean, I'm talking to people that are saying. I, I just talked to somebody yesterday that they're they're looking at a 90 week delay in deliveries. 90 weeks. There's 52 weeks in a year. You yeah, know, so I, right. I mean, these supply chain issues are serious, and it's not just Toyota, you know, and or or Ford or VW or whatever, because they, you know, they're having a problem on the line or computer chips. It's also uh, okay. We've got a supplier that had a COVID outbreak. 
um, that makes our water pumps. Or it's also, you know, we can't get this one part that goes into this one part that goes into this one part that can't make it on time to the assembly line, and we have to shut everything down because of that one issue. It's, again, there are so many dominoes in a world economy that when one falls, the the rest of them fall. And next thing you know is, what's going on here? You know, all of a sudden, I I want a car. How come I can't have it today? Why aren't there 10 on the lot with different colors? And and you, you don't see the big picture of what got those cars onto the lot. We're so used to things flowing smoothly, and when they don't, you know, the abrupt jar it is to our economy, to our everyday lives, without a doubt. Uh, You know, and interestingly, ordinarily, peak demand, if you're going to ship something across the Pacific, it starts in late summer, it ends in the winter. So there's a high season, and then things kind of get back to normal after holiday season products are stocked. But last winter, that peak season never ended. So there was never a time to catch up. And so now everything is so far behind. You know, you mentioned 90 weeks. Well, that's kind of part of how we got there. Yeah, it it is. And, and, you know, again, these things are not going to get fixed overnight. I was talking about the chip shortage. Well, IBM's president, okay, credible source, he's saying first quarter of 2022. I don't think so. This thing could last a few years. So, you know, Mm, stay tuned. Some of these things are falling by the wayside quickly, like, you know, two by fours costing uh, 10 bucks a, a board. Um, okay, they're they're getting back to normal, but some of these other uh, uh, issues, no, they're they're going to be with us for a while. Not playing out so quickly. No. Here's the Simply Money point. Businesses continue to try to work through these supply chain disruptions, and you can expect to keep paying for those delays. Okay, so who's the money person in your relationship? You know, Steve, you've been doing this for years. You've talked to, my goodness, hundreds and hundreds of couples through the years. Yeah, thousands. It always seems like there is one person who kind of takes the lead. Yeah, you know this. This is a dangerous subject because, um, yeah, a lot of times it's it's the male in in the relationship. Not yeah. always, not always. But I'll, I'll tell you what really bothers me is sometimes I'll have a couple come in, and one, and again, a lot of times it's it's the wife has no clue where the money's at. What you know, no, no none whatsoever. I sat down once with a couple where her eyes just got bigger and bigger as we're going over, you know, the amount in the four hundred one k and the pension and everything else, and two weeks later they got divorced you know it's it, it's really eye-opening sometimes that there is like <laughs> zero communication in some relationships and so she and that's figured not a, out they had more money than she could took it and run <laughs> well, pretty yeah <laughs> half net worth and yeah without this guy i'm out yeah but no and, and you know you don't have to talk about it every night at dinner but a little communication goes a long way i mean you, you just remarried is this something you and jason Yes. talk about yeah well, hugely i mean and, and unfortunately for jason even if he wanted to and i don't know that he would want to be like totally in charge of it but he has no choice he's married to me like i've got <laughs> i've got opinions we talk about these things all the time and we talk about it pretty often like you know yeah. we, we check our retirement accounts pretty regularly we talk about what our long-term goals are we now have four children right to help get through college and how are we going to do that yeah. and you know we're even talking about and we're in our mid-40s what does retirement look like for us and you know how much are we going to need so we have these conversations and and these conversations inform a lot of the daily decisions that we make right now, too. So we talk about it all the time. Um, and I'm so glad that we do. And as someone, though, who went through a divorce, right, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that I had the knowledge financially going through that. You know, if I had if I had been the person in the room with a Steve Strovac or someone else who had never taken part of the conversations, who had no idea anything about money yeah. or how it worked, 
during a very, very um, emotionally tough time, it would have been that much worse. And listen, I'm not saying you talk about money because you're going to leave that relationship at some point. Not at all. But I think that you both have hopes and dreams and goals, and you can agree on that. And, And those things are all impacted ultimately by money. Yeah, and, and and for me growing up, money was a stress point because there, there wasn't any. And and it, you know, honestly, I saw mom and dad, you know, have a lot of arguments over money. Yeah. So you know, it's it's something that some some relationships they they just want to stay away from it because it, it if it's going to cause an argument, why even talk about it? But you still have to have a little bit of communication, and and that's one of the things I try to bring in a meeting because you know here you know somebody's coming in for financial advice and and you know can we afford to retire? And if I see that one of the the, the two in, in the relationship sitting down in front of me is totally oblivious to all this, I I try to get them to open up and talk talk it through because um, you know I I also seen cases where. One of them passes away, and if it's the money person, I, I remember one time the widow walked in with literally a shoebox of you know mm. statements and and bills, and Steve, I don't know what to do. He's gone. He did everything, and and you know that you don't want to be that person. You really don't. So I, I kind of insist on both people coming in when we're going over a financial plan, so that nothing gets lost in the translation, and it's a good, healthy dialogue about. Hey, here's what you've been saving up for all these years. Here's how much money you can spend. I budgeted a trip. You know, I I, I put this in there uh, every year so that you can go out and do whatever you want to do. And, and that gets the conversation started that I hope continues after they walk out of the office in, in a nice, calm, cool, collected tone of voice. But, you yeah. know, you've got to open up those communication lines to have a healthy discussion and a healthy relationship, uh, not just financially, but overall in, yeah. in retirement. Early, early in the relationship, right? Don't wait yeah. until you're getting close to retirement and say, hey, we should start talking about these things. That's going to feel very unnatural. And I think there's one word if you're going to start having these conversations that you have to remember, and it is we. Yeah, we, good call. Right? Yeah. Because it's so easy to say, well, you spent this money on this, or I brought uh, this inheritance is yeah. my money, right? No, no, yeah. no. If you can keep going back to we and what we decided together and the goals that we set out for our family, it's a lot easier to find some common footing to have those money conversations and get everyone on the same page. Even if someone's paying the bills, you know, and taking care of the daily stuff, as long as both of you are having the conversations and, and know also where all the account information is, but if you're having regular conversations about where you are on track to hit those money goals, whether it's retirement, helping pay for a wedding, uh, you know, mortgage, whatever that is, you're going to be okay. Yeah. yeah, And and, and it's okay to ask, hey, what are we doing with this money? How, what's the purpose of of this account? Um, You know, again, just draw those conversations out, have a healthy conversation. And if the other spouse is saying, hey, I take care of it, don't worry about it. That might be, you know, just the tip Ask of the iceberg yeah, yeah. <laughs> of the problem. Get involved and have access to, to all of the accounts for both spouses. You, you, you need, to, need to be aware and comfortable of what, what's being done with your money. And you can do joint accounts. You can do yours, mine, ours. It doesn't matter. Know what works yeah. best for you. But the communication part, that has That's to be everything. the non-negotiable. Yep. Here's the Simply Money point. Making your marriage more equal about money is a major step toward more financial peace for both of you. Krispy Kreme Donuts say they want you to be healthier. I'm listening mm. now. <laughs> <laughs>
Interesting. Okay, well, maybe not healthy. Maybe not heart healthy. Yeah, Krispy Kreme uh, and healthy. I'm not sure the two go <laughs> together, but I'll eat them. Yeah, the donut chain is now. So they started offering one free donut uh, to vaccinated customers through September 5th. Now they've upped the ante here. Two free donuts if you're vaccinated and you walk through their doors. I don't know if I walked into a Krispy Kreme and luckily there's not one close to me. Uh, getting just two really is not an option. Uh, no, it's <laughs> they're, they're dangerous. They're so good. They yeah. Did you hear there? I forget who it was in, in town. They were making hamburgers and the bun was a Krispy Kreme donut cut in half oh stop <laughs> that's genius that is absolute genius so you, you know you, you oh, wonder okay, well yeah. I, i'm wondering are, are we going to hear about an announcement of, of a cross-marketing relationship between Krispy Kreme and Lipitor I, I mean, just throw that out there. Hey, guys, you know, got an opportunity here. But, but here's uh, the thing, right? Yeah. As crazy as this sounds, without a doubt, this is good marketing. We're talking sure. about it here. Everyone's yep. talking about it. Since the promotion began, and they started it back in March, the company's given away more than two and a half million, what they're calling vaccine donuts. Uh, and they say they gave away 30 million free donuts in 2020. That was Healthcare really cool. Healthcare workers, teachers. Yeah, so they, yeah. they've been doing great things. And I think this is, you know, we've talked many times on the show about the carrot or the stick when it comes to this vaccine and how companies and businesses are trying to reward or trying to kind of push you in the direction of being vaccinated yeah. uh it's a tough it's a tough place to be in so i think you know krispy kreme having a little fun with this uh sure. you know it's, it's good marketing talking Absolutely. you know and anheuser-busch did it over the fourth of july they were giving away free beer how i miss that i don't know i miss that too yeah exactly but, yeah i mean these are these are good good things to do let's you know uh, talk about Krispy Kreme and also give a reason to get vaccinated and, and whatever. It, it sounds good, you know, that, that businesses are, are rolling up behind this thing and, and encouraging people to do it. And if they give away a little free uh, uh, product, uh, that's kind of very low-cost publicity. Good for them. Yeah, speaking of the carrot or the stick here, uh, you know, Ohio was the first to do the vaccine lottery. Now a number of states have followed in their footsteps. Michigan recently had a $2 million grand prize, and they're actually hosting $50,000 daily drawing. So uh, I think we're going to continue to see this out there. Yeah, but they were only giving away a dollar dollar a year for 2 million years, so it wasn't that great a deal. <laughs> nah, Is that what the payout looks nah, like? Nah, kidding, uh, kidding. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of the vaccine, if you're ready to be done with COVID, we get it. We've been talking about it a lot here. But businesses are continuing to try to grapple with this Delta variant. And, you know, it's, Steve, it's interesting. I was actually reading something from, I don't know, like uh, late May, uh, a few days ago. And it reminded me, like, we, we weren't, like, we were coming out of the pandemic and we felt like we were done. Done. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? It, it, Ditch the mask, throw it in the months. garbage, and we're fine, yes. and let's get back to normal. And yeah. yeah, I walked into Kroger the other day, and and everybody's wearing masks again. Yeah. You know, and and I I kind of get that. I mean, this Delta variant, it's it's concerning. I'm vaccinated. My wife is vaccinated. You're vaccinated. What is the concern out there? Well, you know, you can transmit transmit it, and you know, if you if you're not vaccinated, you may come or it may come around and get you. And apparently, this one's even even worse than the initial. But you know, it, it, we're, we're what we're seeing, and I'm hoping Andy uh, Andy Stout is right because what what he was saying is um, this happened in Europe and it ran its course over a certain period of time, and 
we're hoping that the numbers in, in the U.S. start coming down over the next week or two if it follows what happened in Europe. But in the meantime, you know, we're looking at, at pretty much the, the major outlets for entertainment in, in Cincinnati uh, performing arts groups. They're all banding together, and they're yeah. saying we want to keep everybody uh, safe. And they set up a unified set of protocols um, when they return to normal business over the the next couple of months, and we're talking Cincinnati Ballet, Opera Playhouse in the Park, Symphony Pops, uh, arts organizations at Broadway, uh, Aronoff, all, all all the organizations saying the same things. We want to see masks or and or vaccination proof. Yeah, yeah. And so all of them, and they're really kind of following the steps of another, you know, other major venues, you know, are having similar policies out there. Riverbend, PNC Pavilion, Icon Music Center. You know, it it would be tough because I think there's a lot of people that are, that want to get back out there. You missed live music. You missed live performances, whatever it is, the ballet, the opera, whatever that it is that you enjoy. And so uh, with this Delta variant, you know, how can these businesses, how can these arts provide that to you? And also, keep you safe at the same time. Well, and I, what I'm wondering is, okay, they, they can say we require masks or we require proof of vaccination. Are there people out there that are saying, no, I, I'm not wearing a mask, so I'm just not going to bother going if that's your role. And and at the same time, there are other people saying, you know what, I'm not ready to go out in crowds even though I am vaccinated. I'm going to give it some more time. I'll pass anyway. Is this affecting ticket sales? And I, I think the answer may be yes. Yeah. So we just had Maroon 5, right, at Riverbend, and there were actually plenty of seats available. Maroon 5 had been here in 2013 to a sold-out show. And I know yeah. in other similarly sized markets in recent years, uh, Maroon 5 always sells out. Yeah. You know, this is a really popular band here. Well, I think so, they were the first one that, that required proof of vaccination. Yes. Um, and so, you know, that might be your answer. Well, I think that might be part of it. And I think there's people who are vaccinated who just aren't comfortable getting out there with the Delta variant. Yeah. So many things going on right now. And as the result of it, businesses trying to figure it out. McDonald's uh, is actually uh, on a call with all of their franchisees uh, recommended maybe that they consider closing indoor seating in counties where COVID cases exceed 250 per 100,000 people. Uh, you know, and that's a tough thing because, one, you know, McDonald's is a super popular fast food restaurant. We know how much these restaurants hurt during the pandemic and i think fast food probably did better than a lot of others mm-hmm. uh, but to be considering taking the step backwards is a tough one i think for any businesses right now and i think we'll continue to see that happening here's the simply money point businesses are yet again grappling with how to handle covid restrictions we are super passionate about educating people about money and finances And for us, that starts at a really young age, which is why we are super passionate also about the Step Store, which is a program from the Paul Family Economic Center, which is at UC. Joining us tonight with a little perspective on what that is and how they are making it through these COVID school years is Aaron Harris, Director of Student Enterprise or the Step Program at the uh, Paul Family Economic Center. Uh, Aaron you know, last year, you guys had to pivot. First of all, let's talk about what you were doing before the pandemic and then how that changed things. Hi, Amy. Um, Well, prior to the pandemic, we were in classrooms in schools, um, in 25 different schools throughout the city of Cincinnati, um, helping teachers provide financial literacy and economic education to their second through sixth grade students. So in a normal year, our students get um, educated about these things in their classroom, and they uh, set up a token economy for students so that they can earn 
um, pretend step dollars for things like attendance and behavior and homework on a daily basis. And then the um, Economic Center and our volunteers come in four times a year to set up a school store where the students get to use those dollars they've earned. They can spend them and buy things like school supplies or fun things like stuffed animals. Um, they can save and earn interest to buy big ticket items like gift cards and MP3 players, or they can donate to a charity that is um, near and dear to their hearts. So that's I love this program, Erin, and I have had the um, honor of actually volunteering. And I'm telling you, it's amazing to see what these kids decide. Some of them have been, you know, learning and saving up, you know, all quarter, all semester, and they decide to spend it on their brother or their little sister or donate it all, or they decide to save up for a gift card for mom. Some of the most amazing things that these kids have decided to do. And at that age, you would expect all of them to be tempted to just come in and spend it on all the glittery, fun stuff that's in there. But they don't always do that. And I think that speaks to how well you guys have educated them to when they get to the point of actually being able to buy things, they make really smart decisions about them. Well, that's our hope. We want to give students a nice, safe platform to learn about making those choices when it comes to how they use their dollars. And so it was great, right, being in the schools face-to-face with the students. They would come in. They would shop around. We, as volunteers, would then help check them out like we were in stores. And the pandemic came, and kids weren't in school anymore. Uh, But I love that the STEP program did not go away. Talk about how you pivoted there. So we became what we like to call Amazon Step uh, during last year, (laughs) during the middle of the pandemic, when many, many of our students were either learning remotely or in a hybrid model, half in the school and half out. So what we did is we set up an online platform where students could still keep track of their earnings and they still earn money for those really important things like attendance and behavior and homework. Um, And then we set up an online um, step store where they could make their purchases. So students were still able to make some purchases. We did limit some of the items um, that require a lot of choices, but those basic things like school supplies and gift cards were still available. Um, And then we delivered them to to the school after we had volunteers come to the center and help us sort all their products and purchases. Uh, We made deliveries, and the students were still able to to get those items that they worked hard for. So 2021, uh, a lot of students are back in schools, although, you know, mass mandates are in place. There's a lot of uncertainty around uh, this Delta variant. So what does this school year look like for the STEP program? Well, I'm I'm hesitant to jinx myself, but we are hoping that we will be back in person for the majority of our schools, and and that is the plan right now. So most of our schools are are back in person. Uh, We are hoping to be back in person with our volunteers, wearing masks to keep the kids safe, um, and giving them a chance to use those dollars that they are starting to earn as school um, comes back in session these these next few weeks. Erin, you've been at the helm of this program for how long now? Uh, It'll be 10 years in February. Wow. Any stories that stick out in your mind as far as like, hey, we're doing the right thing here? Yeah, I mean, as much as it was hard to not see the students in person last year and do the the online ordering, we actually got to see some really interesting um, data when it comes to their saving behavior and their donating behavior. Um, Many of our teachers reached out to us at the end of the year and said, you know, the kids were were wanting to help, especially during this pandemic. And and we saw that with the amount of dollars that were being donated. Um, Amity Elementary in Deer Park was our number one donating school. They donated to a local charity called A Kid Again, over $18,000 
$800 went to them. Um, wow. Three of our schools combined to donate over $900 to help pediatric cancer research at Children's Hospital. Um, so children were finding an outlet where they could do something that they thought was, was helpful uh, during these crazy times. And, and, and those kind of success stories um, are really important and, and really help reiterate that the students are, are learning some important things. I love those stories. Now, how many schools are you in right now? Um, we're still determining how many we're going to be in this year. should be around 16, we think, um, with in-person. And then we have a couple of schools that would like to continue the online option if possible. Uh, so we're, we're looking into how we balance that. We've also had a, a lot of interest in expanding the program. So we're going to start uh, working with some younger friends in kindergarten and first grade to see um, how that works and, and what kind of things we need to change to make the program adaptable for our younger friends. Erin, I'm sure there's a lot of parents listening tonight or grandparents who are listening tonight saying, hey, this is such a great program. Could we bring it to our children's school? Is there a possibility for expansion? And what does that look like? Sure. I mean, we're always interested in talking to schools where there's interest from parents, teachers and administrators. Um, anyone who might be interested in that can um, email me. It's Harris at uc.edu. Um, and we're always happy to talk to, to those folks and then look into funding on how we could possibly um, branch out into new schools. And while you have many volunteers, obviously this program, uh, as rich as it is uh, in helping kids, takes some money. So if someone's listening and saying, wait a second, this is something that I think is a great thing, how do they get involved? How do they volunteer? How can they donate? Um, well, they can visit our um, website, which is economiccenter.org, um, to donate and to reach out to us about volunteer opportunities. In fact, the last time I was on your program, somebody heard me and has joined our Young Professionals Board and is now um, going to provide volunteers to us. So clearly oh, I love people that. are listening and uh, willing to help out. So we're really excited about that. All right. So in wrapping up tonight, Aaron, the number one thing that you want parents and grandparents to know about uh, whether or not there is this program in kids schools or not, what do kids at that age, right, second, fifth, sixth, need to, what do we need to make sure that they know about money? It is never too early to start teaching them about money. And that starts at home, and that starts with being honest about things like your monthly expenses, how much you spend at the grocery store, and, and letting kids see you know, that things do cost money and so that we're responsible for figuring out how to, to spend, save, and, and, and donate, hopefully, uh, those earnings that we do bring home. Um, but it's, there's lots of resources available on our website on how we can work with kids in the home um, to teach them those financial literacy skills that many, many, many Many adults tell us they wish they had learned as a kid. We are so lucky to have the STEP program and the All Paw Family Economic Center at UC in this area, both doing such great work uh, in the community, in our schools. Thank you so much to Aaron Harris, Director of Student Enterprise, for joining us tonight. You've been listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. If you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend. If you think they may benefit from it as well at All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.